Hello everyone, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. I am so excited about our guest today. Tracy Stanley has been studying yoga and Tantra since 1995. She's a former high-level executive in the film industry for over 18 years. She's been sharing her understanding of the ancient technology of Tantra when her teacher yoga rupa Rod Stryker initiated her into the lineage of Sri Vidya in 2001. She is an incredible human being and a fellow para-yogi and I got the privilege and honor to get some of her wisdom and insight and I'm so proud to be part of the same community. She's an incredible human being and I'm so excited for you guys to hear a conversation that we had. I want to be like Tracy when I grow up. I mean, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. (laughs) Please tell me how, what do I need to do? Well, I, you know, I honestly would say that step one is for desires work. That's my, that's, that's really what I feel um, for me was the thing that kind of lit my fire to be the inspiration and to try to um, help people kind of move beyond obstacles uh, because that was a process that really helped me to be able to see how my own thinking was kind of standing in the way of me achieving the things that I wanted to achieve. Wow. How long have you been studying with Yoga Rupa for? Uh, I've been studying with him since 2001. And yeah, and you started. So would you say that the four desires really was a pivotal moment in your in your life as far as finding all of those obstacles? <laughs> Yeah, I think it was a pivotal moment. I feel like, you know, when we're in our yoga practice, we start to have epiphanies. And for me, those epiphanies were the things that started me kind of coming back to yoga, Mm -hmm. Um, more so than just the asana practice or the physical. It was really more about, like, realizing more and more and more of who I was and also just being able to determine what, was good for me and what wasn't good for me. However, it wasn't until I did the four desires that I really started to see the real deeply ingrained um, kind of mental constructs that really were keeping me small. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't allowing me to be my authentic self and to really be um, brave and out there with my creative ideas and feeling like I had a voice. Mm -hmm. So I would feel comfortable in certain situations because I was a film executive and had gotten very good at, you know, being in that world and having, um, you know, uh, a voice in certain ways. 
But when it came to really expressing my passions, I felt like I didn't have a voice and I really wasn't powerful. Um, so that was the thing that kind of sparked it for me. What was, so how are you, so you're, are you completely out of the entertainment industry or are you still in it somewhat? I have one last movie um, that I'm producing and I'm kind of producing it from afar. Um, and other than that, I have a company that I acquired with my partner. It's called Pranamaya and it's a company that was started about 10 years ago. Um, by two guys in San Francisco, uh, and we produce and make yoga DVDs and online yoga content. So that was kind of how I was able to take my love of filmmaking and being creative and my love of yoga and bring them all together to something that I could do every day that was inspiring. And that vision actually started in the four desires. When I wrote about my Sankalpa and kind of where I saw myself mm -hmm. in the future, I was writing about having, you know, a platform with online content and lifestyle. And so that's kind of the bigger vision for Pranamaya. Yeah. Um, but that started there and that was, you know, um, probably five years ago was the last time that I had done um, four desires before I really started kind of um, moving forward full force with everything that I'm doing now. For the people that don't, that aren't familiar with, uh, with Rod's book, The Four Desires, can you just give us a quick sort yeah. of overview? Yeah, well, the idea is that the soul has these four desires that it would like to see fulfilled in this lifetime, and the four desires are about purpose, happiness, prosperity, and freedom. Um, and so the process of the four desires kind of takes you through this journey of meditation, creative writing, um, dyads with partners if you happen to do it in a live workshop, or you can do it on your own in the book. Um, and it really asks you to take a look at your life of how you would live your best life. So if you imagine yourself in your best thriving moment when you were in life with everything fully flowing, if you live from that, this moment forward to the end of your life in the thrust of thriving, what would your life look like at the end? And you kind of do this creative writing exercise around those four desires with that in mind. And then you also look at your life if something were, God forbid, to happen today and you lived your life up into this very moment, what are the things that you didn't accomplish? And what were the things that held you back? And what were the things you wished you had done and the people that you wished you had helped and maybe some people you had let down and the things that you did accomplish? But once you kind of get all this out and down on paper and you're able to look at it and go through the process of four desires, you really start to see, oh, there's something really big that's a belief that I have that might have been useful at one point in my life but is no longer useful now, and it's holding me back from achieving everything. So all those intentions and resolutions that I set are being undermined by this other little hidden intention or desire that's called a Z-Kalpa that I had no idea was there or I had no idea was this big, and I need to start doing something to diminish the power of that Vikalpa, which is kind of like a negative sankalpa, mm -hmm. on me and start to empower the shakti 
of everything else that's good and perfect and beautiful around me and kind of let go of this false belief. Wow. And that's really... I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it in, just, I mean, that's like encapsulating it in two seconds. But, you know, it's a, it's a deep process and it's something that you can do multiple times. Um, I've done it probably five times with Yoga Rupa um, in different incarnations. And he's constantly refining and finding deeper ways to get you into, you know, seeing what's there. Um, so it's, I feel like it's something that every yogi should be doing, um, especially if you're teaching, because I think it actually gives you a better view into your students and what might be going on with them um, kind of beyond how they're actually getting into physical postures. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really powerful. Yeah, and the cool thing is that there's a, a Four Desires workbook now um, that you can get online, which is awesome. I mean, I, I've not had the opportunity to actually do the five-day. I've done a lot of other of the trainings and some of them twice, but that's the only one that I still haven't been able to, to go do. And, you know, I've read the book obviously, and I've, um, I, I got the workbook and it's just, I, I mean, every single time I, I go back and I, I read through it, 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 I learn something new, you know, or I, I kind of hear something different, which is really, really neat. And it's, it's really cool. You know, the Sankalp, the Sankalpa has remained the same, which, mm-hmm. which means it's like Sankalpa is our resolution, right? It's like it's that intention that we're setting out to, to achieve. Um, but it's interesting to be able to just commit to that self-inquiry, right? That inward quest that we so often in our yoga practice uh, forget. I mean, that that's, you know, when people are practicing, practicing asana or just the physical forms, we forget that there's a deeper layer to why we're doing what we're doing, Right. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because um, it's really that piece of self-inquiry that's contained in the four desires that led me to doing everything that I'm doing from the cards, the oracle cards, um, to the journal. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really because I felt like, you know, we do so much in yoga. We learn so much when we're in teacher training and when we're in workshops and classes. But very rarely do we get to that svadhyaya, the self-study piece, or the self-inquiry piece, which is known as vichara, in classes or even in teacher training. And, you know, from what the teachings that I've been given, it's all about this, you know, idea that self-knowledge is one of the greatest, you know, things that you can give yourself, and it's the gateway to freedom. So if we never take that time for self-inquiry, I think we're missing a huge piece of the practice. Yeah. How do you think that that's even being applied in classes today? I mean, just as a teacher and as a teacher trainer, like I'm just in the midst of of a 200-hour teacher training that I'm leading. It's my first one. And thus far, it's been a pretty incredible journey. Uh, And I'm learning so much, you know, like I'd never done a training. I've assisted about seven uh, trainings, you know, but this is the first one that I've led. And 
just the learning process and the learning curve that, that I have to learn as I'm teaching these things, but even having the opportunity to really dive into these ideas or these philosophies, I still find it challenging. Like, how do we begin to really bring this stuff into the classroom on the daily, you know, or on the mat? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's definitely challenging. I think that one of the ways that I feel like I was first introduced to the idea of self-inquiry through witnessing was the witnessing of the breath. Um, and just the idea that when we try to still the breath from all those fluctuations and hitches and we try to iron those out, that somehow that that's a reflection of what's happening in the mind, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we're able to have the desire or be led there by a teacher to say, like, look and let's see what is present in the mind. What are the thoughts that are coming forward? Because I think a lot of times we feel like, oh, I should be pushing away whatever thoughts are coming forward. I should be pushing away whatever is in my mind because I want my mind to be peaceful, and that's how I'm going to get to a peaceful mind is just by pushing these things away, as opposed to letting them come up to be examined and then subsuming and letting them go mm-hmm. and getting to that place where we're not disturbed by anything. It's like we kind of see and we witness and we let go. But if we never take that time to kind of really see what's present for us, um, good or bad, if we want to put things in categories, um, then I think we don't get the chance uh, to really go any deeper. So I think in an open class, letting people have permission to almost do more of a contemplation practice than a meditation practice of like, let's sit for three minutes and just notice what is arising in your mind. What are the thoughts that are coming up? What are the emotions that are present? And know that it's okay to feel whatever it is that you're feeling. Yeah, so just having the op- giving them space or allowing the opportunity for for that, and you know, it's we're so we're so conditioned, especially today, to not have that little bit of space, right? It's like every moment needs to be filled, every second needs to be filled with something, you know. And and I find that more and more for me anyway in in my own practice and in the way that I teach I find that more space and more silence seems to have the most benefit or it, it feels more full there's there's a fullness to that space or that emptiness or however you want to perceive it or call it you know I think it's definitely something that is is not really used so much at at this current state in in the yoga world or in the community what what's your thought on having a teacher well i mean i think having a teacher is really important and i know that there's a lot of people who say oh you don't need a teacher you need you know you're you have the inner teacher which I definitely agree. We all have our inner teacher and our inner guide. But I think a true teacher is somebody who really leads you to a place where you can accumulate and learn the tools 
And then eventually you don't necessarily need the teacher anymore because you have the tools and you have your practice and you've hopefully deepened your own understanding of yoga. And you really have your teacher out of the love and respect for the teacher and the connection that you had as opposed to needing the teacher for a crutch, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think if the teacher has done his or her job um, in really guiding you to a place where you can be free of them um, because they don't want you to be a cr- have used them as a crutch, then that's the right teacher to find. That's the right teacher that you want to um, practice with. I don't think you want to practice with somebody who um, makes you feel like you need them or that you're dependent on them or wants you to be like them. It's really like your teacher is there to empower you, right? I mean, the word guru means one who leads you from darkness into light. And it's, it's a key word for me is leading. Mm-hmm. It's not taking you there. It's leading you there. It's like I'm showing you. It's somebody who's already walked the path before you, and they're just leading you in the direction. So I feel like teachers are really important. Um, you know, obviously I've been studying with Yoga Rupa for over 15 years, but I also study with other teachers. I study with Gary Plasso. I study with Sally Kempton. Um, you know, there's other teachers that I would love to study with as well. However, I consider Yoga Rupa to be my primary teacher, um, and he's, you know, seen me from the very first yoga class, uh, now and kind of knows my development uh, within that span of 15 years, and that's an irreplaceable relationship. Yeah, wow, that's that's such a huge gift to to have that. I think that's you know, um, I feel that part of that, especially now, is is missing in in our community. It, it feels like to me that that sort of long term commitment. You know, that's sort of like really sticking with it, like that saying that the yoga starts to happen. The minute the minute it gets challenging, that's when you know it it starts to happen, you know? But I feel like a lot of the times those are the moments where where we stop, right? Those are the moments the minute it starts to get really hard or it's like that inquiry becomes really challenging, or all of a sudden your teacher's like you know, leading you to this place where you're like, I don't really know if I want to go there today. <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I could definitely tell you I experienced that. Um, when I first first started doing yoga in 1995, I was practicing kundalini yoga, and I was doing it five, six days a week. Um, and I remember uh, practicing with Guru Singh, and it was a time when Yogi Bhajan was still alive and he was coming to L.A. a lot. And I remember doing a practice, and I was married at the time. And there was, you know, issues in the marriage where one person was kind of growing in one direction and someone else was growing in a different direction, and it just didn't seem like things were working, but I was going to do everything that I possibly could to make it work because I didn't fail at things that I did. Uh That was my opinion of myself. And I remember getting in my car after practice and hearing this voice very loudly, if you continue to practice yoga, you and your husband will no longer be together. 
And because obviously this practice was leading me to truth. Ah. And in truth, I wasn't going to be able to be in an authentic relationship where we were growing in opposite directions. And I remember making the decision that day. I remember saying to myself, well, I guess I have to stop practicing yoga then. (laughs) Consciously made that decision. And so I did not go to yoga for about four or five months. And during that four or five months, I kept thinking about it for maybe the first month. And then it started to seep in this kind of forgetting, of forgetting about the practice and forgetting about how good it made me feel. And then I was like stuck in this misery of this, relationship and situation that was not growing and was very stagnant. And I was feeling like now I was stagnant, whereas, you know, five months before I felt like I was really flourishing and thriving. Um, And I just remember looking in the mirror and seeing that stagnation in the form of weight gain, in the form of almost like this, like, accelerated aging process. And I remember thinking, I have to go back to yoga. And then I went back the next day. And within probably two months, my husband and I decided that we needed to separate. And that was the best thing that could have ever happened for both of us. And we're still very, very close friends. But I, so I hear you and I understand that idea of, oh, this kitchen is getting really hot right now. <laughs> I need to get out of here. <laughs> and, you know, so when I opened my studio in 2001 and I would have people coming to the studio five days a week and, you know, you really see the transformation happening and then all of a sudden you wouldn't see them anymore. Right. I, I didn't take it personally because I knew what was happening because I had already been there. And I think sometimes the forgetting just stays with you and you forget and you never come back. And then sometimes maybe your experience was so strong that eventually you come back to yoga or you, come, you go to some other modality that's going to help you become awake. Um, but, you know, this process of yoga and waking up is not easy. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> it's definitely no, not. And it's not, all, it's not always pretty, but it's necessary because the freedom that you feel on the other side of that pain or that stuckness or whatever it is that you're feeling is like nothing that you could ever have imagined. That's my experience. It's like I had coffee with a girlfriend today um, who lives in India and spends a couple of months a year in L.A., And we were both just reminiscing of, you know, 10 years ago, what our lives were like in kind of practicing yoga and just becoming more aware and that we couldn't even really visualize how amazing and blessed and beautiful our lives could be and the community of people that we have around us. Um, And it's incredible. So anybody who's in that spot, get back on your mat. (laughs) (laughs) Do you hear that, everyone? Do you hear that? <laughs> get back on it. Don't get back on it. Don't get off. And you know, so that's that's sort of another question. It's it's like 
it's what comes first, the chicken or the egg. So it gets challenging because of the yoga. So then yoga is the remedy, right? So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if things start to get challenging, then what, what areas are your, of your life are you not paying attention to? It's like that saying it's, you know, your practice on the mat is the microcosm to the macrocosm, right? So Absolutely. how you do anything on the mat is how you do everything. So it's, it's one of those things where you can't, what I, what I love about the practice is the fact that what's there is there, right? What's there is there. Mm-hmm. Your body is there. Your mind is there. You, there's no sort of, yeah, I mean, you can leave the room, you can whatever, uh, have, teacher student transference where all of a sudden it's like oh the teacher is getting on your nerves because he or she is saying something so it's like you're going to stop practicing or i can't uh i can't do a handstand so i'm not going to do yoga anymore you know all those things that you know at the end of the day if you really ask yourself it's that is it re- is that really what is that really what's going on you know <laughs> and then and then you you could do the dr phil question How's that working out for you? How I can't do it like him, but you know, it's that question like how how's that working out for you? How is that evading your own self-inquiry working out for you, you know? Yeah, and I, you know, at the same time, I I feel like it's up to the teachers to lead us into that place of self-inquiry. Yeah. Because if you're just doing kind of an hour-long workout asana class, we just might find all kinds of ways to avoid that self-inquiry. So I feel like it's one of the reasons why silence in class is so important, even if you're playing music, to just give some period of time where people can be still and in silence because that's when the epiphanies come forward. Yeah. And not creating too much distraction all the time, whether it's you as the teacher talking um, constantly or the music playing constantly, Mm -hmm. but giving some time for self-reflection because at the end of the day, we want, I think, at least for me, I want there to be some time for self-remembrance remembering who you truly are and then that all the other veil of all the other stuff that's swirling around becomes clear that that's not you so something needs to change and hopefully it means that you just keep doing more and more yoga so that you figure out what it is that needs to change and how to change it yeah i i totally agree i totally agree in our current state uh socially you know with with not only just the yoga community, but as a culture, I've found that even with all the tools for connection and connectivity, like social media and media outlets, you know, and, 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 you know, all these different sort of outlets that we have to connect, there seems to be more disconnect to ourselves and to meaningful relationships or connections to people. Uh, I say that because I I work with a lot of coaching clients that I find are are feeling really disconnected and isolated. And I think wow with with everything that we have at our fingertips, you know, with Facebook or 
Instagram and Snapchat and, you know, all these, these different ways of, I, I use quote unquote connection. We're still having this sort of, uh, this disparity with, with that real sense of, of heart to heart, people to people connection. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's all about your intention for the use of these social media avenues and, you know, and ways of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it definitely does strengthen this illusion of duality, for sure. Um, and I feel like there's... What I see a lot of times is people using the social media to get a message out mm-hmm. as opposed to communicate and connect, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so if you're trying to communicate and connect, then I think you maybe achieve that. But if you're being, if the mirror that's in front of you is people just sending out the message of whatever their life is like in this moment or whatever, you know, program it is that they're selling at the moment, then, you know, I think part of the way we're socialized is about competition and keeping up with the Joneses and keeping up appearances. Mm -hmm. And that's what it becomes. And I think that that's, I think we have to play a very fine line with how much time we actually spend on social media and how much time we actually spend texting. Even, yeah. Um, you know, for me, I don't. I really try to avoid having a text conversation. It's like if I'm, if we're trying to organize where we're going to meet, or we're trying to organize what time we're going to call each other, then text is fine. But once it starts becoming conversational, that to me is where disconnect happens because we don't hear the nuances in our friend's voice who's in distress. We don't hear all of those things that would bring us joy. All we're doing is we're literally connecting just to the, you know, the text letters on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recently had a friend who was in some pretty deep trouble uh, who texted me to let me know what was happening. And my first reaction was, oh, okay, I'm going to call you now. But this person is probably about 10 years younger than I am. And they wanted to have this conversation of what was happening, which was, like, very intense and very complex, over text. And I thought, wow, this is, like, really interesting. And I thought, no, I've got to call you, like, so that we can connect and I can really understand the depth of what's happening and give you support. Because I can't really support and hold space for you over text message. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we need to really not use that as a crutch because sometimes it's easier to not connect. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's easier for us to to stay isolated yeah. and to out of habit and out of the illusion that we don't have enough time that we try to take shortcuts. And those shortcuts um, are going to damage our relationships with our lovers, 
with our children, and with our community. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just how I feel. Do you think that we can get sort of addicted to that isolation bit? Um, I definitely think we can get addicted. I don't know if it's to isolation, but definitely to the idea that we're busy. Mm. Oh, that's we're good. Like, yeah. that's good. <laughs> <laughs> and that we're doing so much because the fact that you've got this little device in your hand that's pretty much as strong as a computer that you would have had five years ago is allows you to multitask. It allows you to communicate multiple with multiple people. I mean, how many times have you been in a text conversation with someone and then three other people are texting you at the very same time and you have three text conversations happening? It, yeah, pretty often. And then how, how much are you really taking in whatever what that person is saying to you? So I think the glorification of busy is a big thing that we need to stop doing um, because it's not doing anything except for causing more stress and creating dis-ease in many different ways. Yeah. Well, I think that's the sort of, that's a big thing with, with stress. I think nowadays is, you know, people wanting to do so much and it's like, if you're not doing enough, you're not doing anything. And then, you know, then you feel bad. But then if you're doing too much, you're tired, you're overwhelmed. So then you feel bad. <laughs> you know, that's, that's <laughs> So at what point, I mean, I guess this is where sort of, you know, this, this practice comes in where, where you have to be able to to do both or to have the balance, you know, this is something that I've personally struggled with in the, in the recent past, like now, (laughs) you know, it's like trying to, you know, I love tasks and I I love projects and I, and I want to do everything, you know, I want to do, I want to say yes to everyone. I want to, I want to do everything. Mm -hmm. And but what happens is I do that and then nothing. I want to do nothing. I want to yeah. go in my bed. I don't want to <laughs> see my telephone. I want to watch I want to binge watch Netflix and you know like just eat popcorn, caramel corn. And oh, I love caramel corn. Isn't it so good? This is like my guilty. I keep talking about it because I'm like, oh, I hope that I'm not encouraging everyone out there listening. Like, go get this. Thing. It's called Chicago Mix. It's oh, I know. Oh, I was <laughs> going to say the Chicago brand is the best. So don't turn them on to it. I'm not allowed to even bring it in my house anymore. My my partner was like, you cannot bring that here because I'll eat the entire thing. <laughs> oh, okay, well, you know, that being said, so it's, you know, it's a good little treat, but that's sort of, that's sort of the, what happens, you know, and that's, that I've had this, this struggle in the last probably year or so where it's been this constant, like, go, 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 go. I'm going to keep going at three more weeks until I have a day off. And then that day off comes and it's like, everything just goes out the window. I'm just like, I just need, okay, I got a day off, nothing. And then nothing happens, but it could be very insidious that process because one day it turns into two days can turn into three and then four and then five. And then it's like a week later, I'm like, wow, I didn't do anything, you know, but it's like, why, 
why allow, why allowing myself to get to that point? Like, you know, obviously this is part of, of my own inability to have that, that structure or to have that little bit of balance, you know, because I just get so excited yeah. and I want to do everything. You know? Well, you know, I'm going to take it back to the four desires because I actually feel like it's so important for us to know what is ours to do. Yeah. And I think that if you're a person who is multifaceted and can do many things, then you get excited by the things that you can do because you know you can do them. However, I think when you get when you work with the four desires and you actually are super clear on what your dharma is and what we call dharma code, it's kind of like the soul statement. You use that dharma code as your north star to make decisions about the things that are in alignment with your dharma and the things that aren't. And it makes it a lot easier that when someone comes up with an opportunity or an opportunity presents itself to you, that you're like, wow, that sounds really cool. I want to go and do that. It's like, is that really in alignment with my dharma? Is that a good use of my shakti? Is that moving me more closer to my sankalpa or not? And if it's not, it makes it a lot easier to let it go and move on in the direction that is going to be helpful for you. Um, you know, I'm certainly somebody who has been very guilty in the past of having many different uh, projects. And I think that also comes from being in the film industry for so long, where as a film producer, I would have, you know, 12 to 16 projects at a time that I was juggling. And, you know, I took a lot of pride in the fact that, oh, yeah, I can do all these things and, you know, have all these projects go really smoothly. But in reality, it was just, uh, managing chaos. It was not a peaceful, you know, process by any means. And I think when I left that, you know, executive role, I kind of took that same mentality into my life, like, oh, I can manage all these different projects. And it wasn't until I got super clear on Dharma that I was like, oh, these, there's, this, this projects here are kind of expending my Shakti needlessly. And it's really not mine to do. So let me concentrate on what is mine to do. And when I do that, I'm actually empowered and inspired and energized by doing it because it's in line with my dharma and it doesn't deplete me. So I don't find myself then, like you, like you said, being in bed and going, wow, I'm so exhausted because everything that I'm doing is in my passion zone. Mm. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> yes, I will do that. I'm <laughs> like, the next time I'm just going to be like, let me just check in with my Dharma code. Hold that yeah. thought. No, that's great. I, I really, it's true, you know, and I think that's why part of, uh, you know, us having this incredible community of, of par yogis and, you know, just us as individuals or as women like to have a, a good supportive tribe around to remind you of those things or to have the, the, you know, power to encourage each other to continue to move forward and to slow down when it's time to slow down. I think that's also part of a really important component to, you know, our own self-development and our own self-inquiry and growth. 
Uh, absolutely. I mean, I have um, an incredible group of women around me and specifically um, a few very close par yogi girlfriends who are steeped in four desires. And we keep each other clean on our Vikalpa and Dharma code. <laughs> you know, when, when we see each other doing things that we're like, are you sure that that's not, let's, like, let's talk about this. And it's amazing to have that kind of reflection and to kind of have that kind of authenticity in relationship, especially in your spiritual community, um, of people who know you so well and know the process of how to cut through the illusion and what's holding you back. And I think that having community is so important. And having a common language, um, which goes back to this idea of the teacher, and having a teacher is that the teacher is, you know, basically creating or holding this space for this sangha to exist. And because the sangha exists under Yoga Rupa and his teachings, we all have a common language and a common experience that we share that really creates this um, amazing bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it really is truly a, a gift, I think, for me in my life anyway, and, and in this community, I think that you're absolutely right. And I, 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 my hope and my prayer is that more and more people continue to, to do the work and to continue to, you know, seek and, and find and, and feel supported by their community or, or come into our community because we're accepting people all the time. <laughs> absolutely Um, absolutely i mean you know all it takes is two other people that can really hear you and hold space for you for you to have a beautiful sangha you know and you can find it anywhere you can find it because you're hiking and you meet two other people that are hiking and you sit down by the campfire and you have an automatic sangha you can find it in yoga because you're all studying with the same teacher or the same type of, you know, class. You can find it when you're traveling. You know, you find these people who are going to Bali and they love going to Bali and now you've got your Bali sangha. But they've got to be able to hold it down for you and you've got to be willing to hold it down for them and to just speak truth all the time. Yeah. Agreed. What what sort of advice can you? This is something that that has been coming up lately, and I always like to ask my guests about, you know, any sort of questions that I get emails about, or you know, students asking um, general questions. Uh, so I'd like to hear your take on this, or what advice can you give? Um, what can we do when we're feeling hopeless or we feel stuck? Mm, hopeless or stuck. I really feel like the practice of journaling um, and contemplation, as we talked about before, mm-hmm. is really important. And really remembering a time where you might have felt stuck before and remembering how you could have used or you did use self-effort to move out of that stuckness because I don't think that anything happens by magic. Mm. Do not think ourselves out of 
being stuck or feeling hopeless. There needs to be some catalyst that is going to be propelled by your self-effort, whether it's the simplest thing of picking up a phone and calling a dear friend in your sangha or family that can help you process or talk through, recommend a therapist, whether it's that you need to go and do that workshop or study with that teacher that's going to activate or change or shift the trajectory of where you are at that moment. Um, But I think really just tapping into the fact that you've been able to, because I feel like we all have been in that place where we felt stuck and we did something to shift it. Remember what that thing was that you did to shift it, write about it, and then write about how you could possibly shift where you are now. What would you need to do to to shift it? Write it out because the imagination is going to lead to experience. And then start to move through what are those action steps that you need to do. And it might just be as simple as calling a friend Mm -hmm. or calling professional help. Um, But usually, you know, fire is the thing that transforms one element to another. And I really believe that the self-effort is a form of fire, whether that's getting back on your yoga mat, doing something to shift where you are. That's awesome. (laughs) I got got nothing. Thank you. That's great. Um, What what does Tracy do to refill her cup? Well, I practice yoga nidra every day. And tell us uh, tell us about this yoga nidra. (laughs) Please. Uh, Yoga nidra, yoga nidra. Everyone should be doing yoga nidra. Um. You know, Yoga Nidra has a, many different modalities. Um, yoga Nidra can be used uh, for healing. It can be used for transformation. Uh, it can be used for spiritual transformation, and it can be used for cognitive learning. So, you know, I feel like the healing version of Yoga Nidra is what I practice most. Um, because I do do a lot, but I feel that that helps me to feel feel like my cup is pretty much always full. Um, it's really traveling a lot, plane travel that depletes me, um, if there's a lot of it. Um, and yoga nidra on the plane, there's nothing better. (laughs) I've not even thought about doing that. That's so, that's, that's so great. Yeah. So, I mean, and you know, you can do yoga nidra in 15 minutes. Uh, and there's many different teachers who have amazing yoga nidra, um, recordings, you know, obviously Rod Stryker Yoga Rupa has many yoga nidras. Richard Miller has great yoga nidras. John Vossler has yoga nidras that are great. Um, I think Mary Bruce has a couple of yoga nidras that are recorded somewhere. Um, So find a yoga nidra that resonates with you and practice it every day. That will make a huge difference in your life to refill. Mm -hmm. And I always practice self-care. I mean, I do my Abhyanga practice. I do my neti pot. You know, I really try to watch um, what I eat 
so that I can have that Chicago popcorn every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> good, but, good. you know, just taking good care and not being unconscious and really feeling like I want to be awake in every moment, and that means how I'm eating, what I'm, how I'm exercising, my yoga practice, my meditation practice, who I choose to spend my time with. That's a big one because who we choose to spend our time with can be inspiring or it can be depleting. Yes. Can you please tell us about that? Because I find that for so many people being around toxic energy, they don't even realize how much of their own prana or their own energy this this takes from them. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I feel like I've gotten to a place in my life where I have such a strong community of conscious people and students that are interested in learning and transforming that I don't spend a lot of time in the space of um, letting my energy be depleted by other people. Uh, that used to be something that was very difficult to manage because I was president of a production company and I had people coming into my office all the time mm. with many different things and situations happening. Um, <laughs> and I think you just have to make a conscious <laughs> effort to in your personal life, that you really have to decide how do you want to spend your energy and just being aware of how do you feel after you interact with certain people. And I think the more, you know, work we do on ourselves, sometimes those relationships fall away because vibrationally I think people feel that you're no longer in the same place, um, where sometimes in those relationships we feed off of someone's toxic energy, we feed off of the gossip, we feed off of whatever's underlying in the relationship. We're getting something out of it, otherwise we wouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. So at some point, you stop getting something out of it, and it's no longer useful. And either that person goes and does their work and you meet each other there or they don't and the relationship probably falls away. Um, but one of the th practices that I used to do when I worked on film sets, because I would be, you know, in a group of 50 to 100 people um, interacting all day, is I would just chant the Mahamurchanjaya through the chakras like three times. And I felt, found that that was very healing and it was a way to kind of disconnect from people's energy. Um, and it's actually recommended, um, you know, for people who are nurses or people who, you know, do body work as a way just to keep, you know, the, your energy clear and kind of let go of what doesn't belong to you. Do you have a a version of the mantra anywhere for us to download or is there one that you would recommend or just learning the mantra for the listeners or, or my students? Um, I would recommend if you go on to yoga international and you uh, 
just do their search for Maha Merchandaya. It actually has a whole article about the healing aspects of uh, the practice as well as a recording of uh, the mantra itself. That's a nice little prescription for everyone. I hope everyone really goes on there and gets it because it's it's incredible. I mean, we we chant it for para yoga. We it's part of our practice to be able to to do that uh, that chant, which I've found in those moments uh, quite useful and quite healing and powerful. Um, so Tracy, I I don't want to keep you. I I can probably talk to you for. Um, a good portion of the next 24 hours, I'm sure. Uh, I don't want to keep you. So I want to uh, just, I'll ask you one more thing, but I do want to thank you so much for, uh, for everything that you've done and for everything that you continue to do. And on behalf of all of your students and my students, um, your light, uh, your knowledge, your spirit, your philosophy, just your being. Um, I, I want to thank you so much for being a huge inspiration as a para-yogi and just as a yogini and just as a woman uh, for people like me, you know. So thank you so much for just continuing to do this really incredible work. And I, I can't wait to do more of these with you and just to continue to see what you're going to bring for, for us and for everyone around you. So thank you so much. That's number one. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I'm really honored that you asked me to be a part of your podcast. So thanks. Oh, thanks. Um, one final question and then I will let you go. Uh, what do you radically love? Mm, what I radically love is, just authentic, open, trustful, non-competitive conversation and connection with beings from all over. They don't even have to be like-minded. Just let it be truthful and open. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, and then that's it. That's it. <laughs> um Everything, uh, I'm going to have a link to Tracy's uh, website and her oracle cards, everything that she's doing. So everyone check out um, her site and follow her on Instagram. And I know you're on Facebook, Tracy. Is there anywhere else we should be in uh, in queries about? Um, no, you can follow me on those places. I've got some meditations up on Pranamaya. Um and I've got a new journal, Empowered Life Self-Inquiry Journal, that's going to come out um, for Christmas time for the holidays. So, yeah, just check out my website. Everything will be there. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Radically Loved Radio. For more information, you can go to radicallyloved.com. You can follow me on all the social media outlets, Instagram at Rosie Acosta. Twitter at Rosie Acosta, Love Radically on Facebook, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other things that I'm not mentioning, but I'm sure you will find them if you're looking for them. Thanks for listening.